Hi, this is David Shoemaker, and I'd like to welcome you to Living Thelema, which is going to be a new segment here, recurring segment on Speech in the Silence podcast. I've heard the first episode of the podcast, which came out a few weeks ago, and I'm very excited about this podcast and what it's going to represent as a, as a resource for the greater Thelemic community. So I'd like to congratulate the producers of Speech in the Silence for getting this going and for giving me the opportunity to do these segments which, again, are going to be called Living Thelema. Now, the reason that I chose the name Living Thelema is that I've found, as I have looked around in the Thelema community and the resources available online, in written form, and, and elsewhere, there's an awful lot of material that is historical, philosophical, theoretical, but I often find that what's missing is the kind of practical instruction that is really useful on a day-to-day level as we go through our our lives, as we pursue our magical paths. So I'm designing Living Thelema to address that need. Now I should emphasize that um, the ideas I'm going to be presenting on this podcast are my own and the interpretations my own, and they're not representative uh, necessarily of the views of Grand Lodge or of the producers of the podcast. This is material that I'm bringing to you based on my own experience of my own work and also um, my experience supervising students over the years in a number of traditions. And so I'll simply try to bring the best of that to you and uh, tailor it to answer your questions, address your training needs, and hopefully to present the kind of topics that are really going to be useful on a practical level for you day to day. We're going to begin with the basics appropriately the building blocks of magical practice that really form the foundation for all later work. In each segment, I'm going to address your questions regarding previous segments, except today, of course, since there weren't any previous segments, or regarding new topics that you're interested in. I'm going to encourage you to email me with suggestions, and most of all, to share your experiences of the work, to guide me in presenting material that is, is truly relevant for you. Uh, the more active you are in making suggestions and asking questions, the more I can, uh, again, tailor this to meet your needs. As we progress, we're going to move to more advanced subjects, including the stages of Raja Yoga, astral projection, ritual construction, kundalini work, the knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, and a lot more. But the emphasis in all of these areas is always going to be on practical information rather than on more theoretical discussion or historical perspectives or that sort of thing. Now, in today's segment, we're going to begin with one of the most uh, central and basic practices in all of Thelema, and that is Liber 200, uh, more commonly known as Liber Reish Vel Helios. And uh, this is a set of solar adorations. Many of you are likely familiar with it. Designed by Alistair Crowley. Um, you can find written copies of Libra H all over the place, most prominently in uh, Libra ABA and in many places online. Uh, I've provided one link to uh, some informational material about Libra H in the podcast blog that I suggest you take a look at. Now, Libra H is a Class D ritual. It first appears in the path of training of the AA student in the probationer curriculum, the probationer syllabus, but is designed to be 
uh, performed well beyond that. The, as you may know, the probationer syllabus contains a great number of uh, ritual instructions which are designed to be there as a, a basis for experimentation of the probationer. And um, it's certainly also appropriate that Liberesh would be there because Crowley felt it was so central as a basic practice, and he assigned it to to students early in their training, regardless of their AA affiliation. There are many benefits of performing Resh, as anyone who's done it can attest, but here are some of the basic uh, things that people tend to get out of it and that Crowley intended for people to get out of it based on his own writings. Now, this ritual is written to be performed at the four stations of the sun during the day, the four primary stations. That'd be sunrise, noon, sunset, and midnight. And when you set aside those ritual practices each day, and when you punctually observe those the ritual timing, um, one of the, the clear benefits of that is that you're going to be able to maintain mindfulness of your own magical path throughout the day. This is given as as a basic result, but in terms of Crowley's thoughts on it, but I think, frankly, it's one of the most important that in our mundane lives, when we are likely to be distracted by our work or our family responsibilities and uh, not necessarily have our minds placed on, on the great work throughout the day, here is a practice that has that fringe benefit built right into it. So I think that's one basic thing. Second, there is a magical, symbolic, psychological identification with the sun, which many people find uh, uh, useful, stimulating, uh, empowering. And finally, there are some who believe that there are direct energetic benefits of adoring the sun at these stations, that there is something about the the timing of um, these exact placements of the sun and your orientation toward it that uh, that have you know, literal, um, physical and, and spiritual benefits. Now I encourage some skepticism on this, try it out and see what you think. That's a general statement I'd like to emphasize for this segment in general, which is, uh, you know, to try these suggestions out, take what I say with a grain of salt and, uh, um, don't assume, uh, anything is true until you've verified it yourself. Let's talk about some performance details. Um, I'm going to go through the the ritual in order um, as it would be performed and stop and, and give you some suggestions on each of the components of the ritual. First, of course, you're going to, let's take dawn as an example. You're going to want to face the appropriate quarter, face the east. Um, the next instruction is to assume the grade sign. Now, uh, there's a wide variation in the signs used here. Crowley's recommendations I'll give in a moment, um, relate to the great signs of AA. Now, it may seem that to give the great signs, perhaps of grades beyond yourself, if, if you're an initiate, or maybe you're not even an initiate of AA and you're, you feel a little funny giving AA great signs, I want to encourage you that it's not presumptuous to do so. These great signs, in addition to representing uh, grades in a magical order, are emblematic of the stages of initiation and of the elements and are entirely suitable for use here. Much like Crowley states, you may use the robes of AA when doing certain magical procedures without presumption, even if you're not of the, the corresponding grade. So um, if you're an AA initiate, 
the sine of your grade may be used at all four quarters. Otherwise, Crowley's recommendations are as follows, and these are also listed in the podcast blog if you um, want to take a look at that. Uh, at dawn, face east, and you can use all four of the LVX signs. That is Osiris slain, Isis in mourning, uh, the sign of uh, Apophis and Typhon, and Osiris risen. Um, also, in practice, I find that it's just fine to use the, uh, and, and magically effective, to just use the sign of Osiris slain. Uh, at noon, you're facing south, and you're in a sign of fire known as uh, the sign of Tum Aish Nath. And uh, this is the sign you may have seen with the fingers of both hands forming an upward-pointed triangle that's placed against the forehead. At sunset, you're facing west and giving the sign of air, uh, known as the sign of Shu, supporting the sky. Um, this is uh, standing erect, feet together, with the, the hands upstretched and the palms upward, as you'll see in, in many diagrams. Then at midnight, you are facing the north and giving uh, the sign of water, known as uh, the sign of Aramoth, uh, which is the fingers of the hands making a downward-pointed triangle, which is placed at the, at the heart, or sometimes seen just below. So you face the appropriate quarter, you make the appropriate sign, and then you should mentally cloak yourself with the god form uh, appropriate to that quarter. Now, traditions on this vary as well, um, as you have probably seen in your work, um, but uh, I teach the following. For Ra, I suggest visualizing a human male figure in Egyptian dress with staff in one hand and an ankh in the other, uh, with the head of a hawk and uh, the uraeus serpent at the brow with a red solar disc atop the head. For Ahathor, I suggest uh, visualizing the god form as a human female figure in Egyptian dress with the staff and ankh as before, and the head of a cow with horns, and a red solar disc atop the head. For Tum, I suggest a human male figure in Egyptian dress with the staff and ankh as before, uh, and a bearded human head. The stylized beard common in Egyptian paintings would be a good, a good visualization there. And finally for Kephra, I suggest cloaking the entire body with the god form of a scarab beetle, um, its arms upward bearing the sun, the disk of the sun, usually visualized as the point within a circle glyph. Sometimes you will uh, see recommendations to see a human figure with just the scarab head, but uh, I usually recommend and use the, the full body scarab. Now, the next thing you do once you're in this sign, your physical body is in the sign of the grade. Your astral body, or at least your mental visualization, is of the the deity in question, then you recite the invocation that's appropriate for that quarter. And I'll recite the dawn invocation as an example here. Hail unto thee who art Ra in thy rising, even unto thee who art Ra in thy strength, who travelest over the heavens in thy bark at the uprising of the sun. Tehuti standeth in his splendor at the prow, and Rahur abideth at the helm. Hail unto thee from the abodes of night. After 
the initial invocation appropriate to the quarter, you're instructed to give the sign of silence, usually interpreted as the left forefinger pressed against the lips as the sign of Harpocrates or the, uh, the sign of the babe in the egg is often given as a visualization for that. We'll talk more about the, the value of the sign of silence in a minute. So you cross your arms upon your chest, right over left, as in the sign of Osiris risen. And in this position, as I teach it, you give the invocation, uh, or rather the adoration. Crowley says the specific wording is, Afterward thou shalt perform the adoration that is taught thee by thy superior. And again, you see traditions varying on the specifics of this. But what I teach is what I'm about to recite, which begins with the passage in the Book of the Law that starts with Unity Uttermost Showed. And uh, I'll recite that now and then say a bit more about it. You're standing again in the sign of Osiris Risen. Unity Uttermost Showed, I adore the might of thy breath. Supreme and terrible God, who makest the gods and death to tremble before thee, I, I adore thee. Appear on the throne of Ra, open the ways of the Ku, lighten the ways of the Ka. The ways of the Kabs run through to stir me or still me. The light is mine, its rays consume me. I have made a secret door into the house of Ra and tomb of Kephra and of Ahathor. I am thy Theban omen too, the prophet Onkofnakonsu. By Besna mount my breast I beat, by wise Tanek I weave my spell. Show thy star splendor, O Nuit. Bid me within thine house to dwell, O winged snake of light, Hadit. Abide with me, Rahurquit. Now, there is an awful lot you can do with this adoration that is not necessarily apparent on first observation or first working with it. And to my knowledge, it's not written down anywhere either. But what I'd suggest you do is look at the, the various places in this adoration that allow you to expand uh, your, your consciousness into the various statements you're making. For example when you are vibrating the aum uh, and then moving on to the phrase let it fill me of course that was what i just demonstrated a very full uh, vibration of that uh, sacred word once you've done that and said let it fill me breathe in as you may have heard me doing and visualize that you are being filled with the light you have just invoked so that when you move on to the next phase, the next phrase, which says, the light is mine, its rays consume me, this is a, a reality for you, a spiritual, magical reality based on what you've just done in the adoration rather than uh, mere words. And then also at the end of the adoration, uh, toward the end of the adoration, the last few verses, beginning with uh, Show Thy Star Splendor, O Nuit, there's an opportunity here to reinforce the thelemic current within yourself by visualizing yourself as Ongof Nakonsu in the stele over the course of these verses. 
as you say, show thy star splendor, O Nuit, you can visualize yourself as Ankhof Nakonsu standing under the arched body of Nuit. When you say, bid me within thine house to dwell, O winged snake of light Hadith, you can see the winged globe of Hadith as on the stele above you. And when you say, abide with me, Rahurquit, see Rahurquit on the throne, and synthesize the whole image of yourself as Ankhof Nakonsu in the in the stele. So there's really a lot you can do uh, with that adoration, as I said, way beyond uh, simply uh, reciting it. Now, in some traditions also, um, for this adoration, additional verses are added at later stages of the training. But for now, this, as I've just recited it, beginning with uh, Unity Uttermost Showed and so on, uh, is a good starting place, and that's just fine. After that adoration, give the sign of silence again. And here's where I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the value of the sign of silence as a magical gesture. This is not merely um, a sign, of course, but a, the assumption of a god form, the, the god form of Horparkrat or Harpocrates. A good image to use here is the one you see on the Aeon card. Now, I've found this to be a, a very valuable and powerful ritual gesture and god form in terms of uh, sealing the aura, if you want to use that term, uh, replace it with the term of your choice if you find that one distasteful. And the fact that you give this sign by the present method twice during each uh, practice of Liberesh means that eight times a day you are giving that gesture uh, of sealing and of strengthening your magical uh, environment within yourself. And um, that is not to be underestimated in its importance in the magical path and in the, the building and strengthening of your basic magical muscles that you will that you will be using throughout your career. So we've done the adoration, we've given the final sign of silence. Now the the ritual script written by Crowley next says, and then do thou compose thyself to holy meditation. Now it's entirely up to you what you do here, unless you've been instructed in a particular way by your teacher in whatever tradition you're working. But I find generally that Liberesh sets the stage beautifully for any number of different uh, meditations. This could be something as simple as, uh, as a concentration exercise or uh, meditations on passages from the holy books uh, and so on. It's, it's really up to you. Uh, interestingly, in Magic Without Tears, Crowley suggests that meditation on Stations of the Sun is a uh, useful remedy against the fear of death, he says. So whether or not you find that to be the case, uh, you know, you'll have to judge for yourself, but you could certainly adopt that as, a, as an experiment and uh, at each performance of, of Resh, uh, meditate on the particular station of the sun that uh, corresponds to the time you're doing it, um, identifying yourself with that stage of the day's progress and, uh, and see what comes of it. Or identify yourself with the, the general idea of the deathlessness of the sun, the eternal, regenerative, and uh, undying quality of the sun. Now, that completes uh, a discussion of the performance details, um, more or less uh, walking through the ritual step by step. Uh, what I want to do now is give you some suggestions uh, for the timing of the ritual, which is obviously key. It's one of the core components. 
Obviously, it's ideal that it be performed as much as possible at exact solar sunrise, noon, sunset, and midnight. Now, keep in mind that these times, that the solar, the true solar um, times, will be off an hour during uh, observance of daylight savings. In any case, you're going to want a way to calculate these times as exactly as possible. One useful tool for that is uh, a website that I've um, provided the, a link to in the podcast blog, so I encourage you to check that out. This website also allows you to compensate for daylight savings time so that you'll be sure and get that right. So the times are supposed to be exact, but don't let the uh, obsessive quest for doing it exactly on time distract you from its central purpose as a mindfulness practice uh, throughout the day. If you miss the time, don't beat yourself up about it. Just go do it as soon as you realize you've missed it. Similarly, don't get too obsessive about doing the sunrise practice at exact sunrise if your daily schedule is simply not set to have you up at sunrise. I think it's a great exercise uh, to do it as exact sunrise and, and as you'll see at, at midnight exactly as well, but that's not always possible and it it is far better to do the sunrise rush on arising than to not do it because you got up later than sunrise. Uh, in my opinion. And similarly, it's far better to do midnight resh before you go to bed rather than sleep through the night and never do midnight resh that day. So uh, have some flexibility in your approach to it, recognizing that there is value in this ritual that goes far beyond the exact timing. And if you miss a resh entirely or a whole day's worth or you realize it's been six weeks since you've even thought about it, don't beat yourself up about it or make a tedious list of excuses and, and reasons why you didn't do things, simply note in your diary that you missed it that day or at that hour of the day, and any associated effects uh, or results you've noted from missing it. Now, um, I often get questions about how to perform this ritual if you're in a public place or if you're in a environment where, an environment where you um, don't want to be overheard. Let's take the public example first. Let's say you are um, on a bus riding somewhere. You can quite effectively simply close your eyes and visualize yourself doing the entire ritual. Similarly, let's say you're at the office uh, at work and you don't want to be uh, vibrating uh, divine names in your cubicle. You can simply go to the bathroom and go in a stall and uh, you know silently do it with the gestures in there. So that's far, far better than missing it and then being mad at yourself for not doing it. Likewise, if you are in a home where you don't want to be overheard in the next room, your roommate's there, whatever it is, you can, again, do it silently with the gestures, and it's, it's quite magically effective that way. So I hope these suggestions will be useful to you when you approach the performance of Liberesh. I know that this is a very basic ritual, and my suggestions accordingly are, are for basic practice. But uh, at the beginning, sometimes it can be really helpful to have uh, some tips on, on how to get into performance of one of these rituals. If you have any questions about anything I've presented on this uh, segment, please write to me at the address that you'll find um, on the podcast blog. 
And um, likewise, as I said earlier, please feel free to share your suggestions for future segments, um, topics you'd like to hear about, or rituals you'd like to explore and get practical suggestions on. Again, I'd really like to thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you for future segments.